Hi everyone, Raphael Harry here, and you're listening to White Label American, a podcast where we hear stories from an immigrant or two, sometimes more. Thank you for listening and enjoy the show. Welcome to another episode of White Label American. Thank you all for joining us today. Before we begin, I'd like to give a shout out to my Patreons. Thank you all for supporting this podcast and helping us grow and helping us build the community. I'd like to invite you all listening to join us and help grow the community further. And, you know, we can always use the support and, you know, we're not where we want to be yet. And for those listening who cannot join at this moment we understand we know it's not um, easy at this time for everybody but you can also support in other ways yeah, we have t-shirts available at vetclothing.com you can also support by subscribing sharing the podcast and most importantly giving five stars and posting and, and posting a positive review wherever you listen on and most importantly on itunes because that's the best way for us to grow the algorithm sees the five stars coming in and, you know, we climb up. Uh, otherwise, we have to go pay some influencers to, you know, start pumping money. And we don't have that money. You know, we'll rather give that money to a good cause and to people, you know. And we will also reward people who post and sh- spread the news, the good news around about the podcast. We, we try and pick one person every month to give a gift card to. So um, with that being said, I have a very special guest. Um, what this gentleman does is is just beautiful. He's, uh, he's a very inspiring person. He's the co-director of QDEP. He's um, a coordinator of community organizing. He's a public speaker, a lecturer, a writer, and he's also a fashion designer. He's an all-around creative. He's not just only um, that. He's also an immigrant and queer rights activist. He's been featured in um, a, a few publications and plenty more to come, including Windy City Times, Sunderland, Plus Magazine, BuzzFeed, Pulitzer, and so much more. So without much further ado, I welcome Ukechiku Onwa to the podcast. Welcome today. How you doing, brother? Thank you so much, Raphael. <laughs> Raphael. Uh, I'm doing great. <laughs> I'm doing great. Um, I just want to correct something when you introduced me. You said I'm a lecturer, so I'm not a lecturer for the record. I'm just like, you know, an educator um, oh. with the other stuff that you mentioned. Um, and the correct pronunciation of the name is Uche Chuku. Uh, you know, but it's fine. I'm good. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm losing. I'm, I guess I'm losing my touch, my Nigerian touch. <laughs> so u- yeah, u- Uche yeah. Chuku, we have to say it right. Uche Chuku. Exactly. Yes. Uche Chuku. Yeah. You, you said you said Uke Chuku like you care. You use. Oh, I said okay. Of... I didn't. Want, I didn't yes. notice that. Wow. That, okay. That, that's 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 a red card for me there. That that's it's okay. Oh, that's that's really my my Igbo friends won't allow me to hear that one now. They they come. <laughs> oh, they got something against me. That's fine, that's I missed that. I'm, I'm so sorry about that. No worries. But, uh, the reason why I use lecturer is because, mm-hmm. um, you know, the Nigerian background, any, anybody who's 
an educator, a teacher, who put you as a lecturer. Mm. We just, you know, oh, so <laughs> that's yeah. why I use lecturer. I was intentional on my part, but yes, I, okay. you're right. It's not, it's not like, uh, but I intentionally, I used the Nigerian uh, right, speak terms. Yeah, on, on that. So um, welcome to the podcast. How's your day going? My day is going great. Just starting. Um, so far, I'm so excited. This weekend has been a long week. Uh, so I'm just happy to just, you know, have this weekend off to get some rest. So, so far, it's going well. And how is your day going? Ah, my day is going beautifully. Um, I had f- football last night, soccer for the American mm-hmm. audience. And well, I got a lot of injuries, but I'm 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 I'm, I'm good to go. And volunteering mm. went well today. And my um, my wife was able to get her first vaccine today, her first vaccine shot today. So that's yeah, great. Can't complain. So mm, I don't think good. the audience wants to hear about me. They know me already. Let's 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 <laughs> let's get to meet you. So can you introduce us to your place of birth and um, you know where where. Um, younger Uche. Can I call you Uche? Mm-hmm, yeah. Um, so, where was Uche um, born and um, what was, um, yeah, younger Uche, what was life like for him? So, uh, <laughs> I was born in, um, was originally from Nigeria, born in um, Enugu State. Um, you know, my, my dad is from Enugu State. Which is southeast of Nigeria, um, so that's where I'm from, and that's where I was born. Um, so I use uh, he/him pronouns, um, just you know, for the record. Um, younger Uche was—I mean, I had a very hard life growing up. Like, yeah, like very, very tough. Just like you know, majority of Nigerians, especially queer, queer Nigerians. Yes. Uh, young queer Nigerians, I had a very hard life. And, um, you know, as someone from, you know, a very poor family, poor background, it was, you know, life was really difficult. Uh, but I'm really so excited that, you know, where I am at this point with everything that I've, you know, experienced in life. So my younger uh, life was really hard. Um, had like you know some horrible experiences, um, you know, growing up. But of course, in those horrible experiences and horrible moments, there were also some like you know interesting, amazing, um, you know, experiences and memories that you know. Sometimes I just wish to go back to those. You know, I wish I could just go back to being a kid again. You know, mm-hmm. and relive those. Uh, um, you know, wonderful experience. Yeah. Um, you know, so um, yeah, just one thing I wanted to share about my um, growing up that actually led me to the work that I'm doing currently. Um, at when I was up around 15 years, I lost uh, one of my best friends who, um, you know, were the same age. He was around 14, 15. Then he was uh, raped. Uh, yeah, mm-hmm. for for men, you know, for guys, because it was perceived to be effeminate. Um, few months after he was raped, he tested HIV positive, uh, and as a kid who you know don't have any knowledge about you know HIV prevention, yeah, the trauma, 
uh, there is no, you know, uh, no resources to even like, you know, manage or even address the trauma experiences that, you know, he went through. A uh, few days after finding out about his HIV positive, he committed suicide. Uh, so that was like one of the horrible experiences in my life. Uh, and that was actually the time that, um, you know, like I had a lift, like a change towards like, what do I want to do? I was so angry, mm-hmm. you know, I wanted to like, you know, change the world. I wanted to like, you know, demand justice for my friend. Yeah. But again, I didn't know what justice means. I didn't know what it means to, to you know, ask or seek for justice, right? Uh, so also part of me was about to seek, um, seeking safety. I wanted to like, you know, be safe so that I don't have to go or experience the same thing that my friend experienced. Because of course we were, you know, good friends. So I was mm-hmm. assuming that the people who did that to him know me, probably might have seen me and they might be coming for me, you know, stuff like that. Yeah. Um, so that's one of like, you know, the worst um, experience in my life that as a child that, you know, till I die, I'm gonna live to like, you know, live with that memory and that experience because and it's also what shaped me to the work that i'm doing currently because it, it was as a as a um result of you no know, looking for safety protection and also seeking justice that i you know i got into organizations in nigeria that were providing services for queer and trans uh, people in nigeria that okay. i got into the organization uh, so sorry to cut you there i i, I will come back to um you um finding those organizations that provided mm. services and safety for um queer people in Nigeria because as someone who grew up in Nigeria in my you know heterosexual world that was something that never even occurred to me that existed you know mm-hmm. but um uh, but it just shows how you know when you're not threatened by something you don't even believe you don't see the need for something like that to exist you know? mm, but exactly. I, I have something for you but i will come back to that i have one quick question though um being that you were born in enugu i know that enugu and most of the southeast is very strong in the catholic uh faith were, were your family catholic yeah my family uh my family is catholic my family well, I wouldn't say my my parents just started going to church a few years ago. Um, you know, my parents weren't going to church. They were more like pagans. Oh, but my okay. siblings, you know, uh, do go to church, very strong Catholic. I was a very strong, you know, Catholic. Uh, I was actually supposed to be a priest. Uh-huh. Uh, I I lived with a reverend father, you know, for like for maybe about four years. I was going to go to like seminary school. But, you know, when I was supposed to write the exam to get into seminary school, I was dealing with, you know, finding out who I am, Mm. you know, really like struggling with my sexuality. So I I felt like at that age, I didn't want to like, you know, go into seminary, become a priest and be battling with my sexuality. So I just had to like tell myself the truth. Like, do I want to do this? Do I want to like have to deal with, because I know some Reverend Father who were also gay, but because of, you know, the society and also them being priests, they had mm-hmm. to like live with yeah. this, like, you know, double life pretense all their life. Uh, so I just feel like that is not what I want for myself. I don't want to have to deal with that. So I ended up not going to seminary school. 
that was like a disappointment to my family because they, you know, when I told them I was going to go to seminary school and become a priest, they were all so happy. You know, Africans, you yeah. know, mothers, they were I, I, like, oh, mama, father, I you know, know like, you know, father's uh, mom and stuff like that. Something that they were really happy when they heard that news. So it was when they heard the other news, they were like, you know, very sad. And so I grew up uh, in a very religious um, um family and myself and you know with uh being living with a priest and all that yeah I, w- I was born into a very strong catholic home and early on i wanted to become a, a priest at one point in time and uh when i found out that priests couldn't get married uh, that's when i <laughs> said um, i'm out i'm out but you you went a lot <clears> further <throat> than i even did and then even on the pentecostal side yeah, I think that's one reason why myself and um, my oldest sibling, we can we can't. One of the reasons why we can't even see eye to eye to this day is because mm. she is so disappointed in me that I never went on that pastoral route because they, mm. she, she seen me preach once or twice, and she was mm. like, "Hey, you, you, he has the talent, he has the skill, so he's mm-hmm. going to continue to put me in Bible school." And I was becoming this hardcore evangelical. Right. Like yeah, I was literally eating all that, spitting right, all that, right. and then I was, I was like, ah, I, I don't buy yeah. this. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> I, the, I, the cracks had started, and after I saw a child die at um, Winners mm. Chapel, and I was like, yeah, I, I can't. Yeah. But even before that, uh, you know, we we had someone who I've told this story on the podcast before. But, you know, I grew, I grew up in a family that, you know, we, we used to pray, like, you know, if you're gay, you, send a, you pray for gay people to go to hellfire. It's just a normal uh-huh, thing, yeah. straight to hellfire. And then you find out that there's a gay person in the family. And then mm-hmm. the prayer becomes, for that person in the family, uh, it's Jesus will save him. Mm-hmm. But every other right. gay person goes to hellfire. Just to now, hell as a young teenager then barely in my teens i'm about to enter teenage years it's like uh well, why am i save how come jesus is saving only the one in my family and just not mm-hmm. saving everybody right. the cracks began then because it didn't make sense you know but mm-hmm. he has friends and my family didn't like his friends oh they're blaming his friends for making him how did his friends make him gay you know that was the mm. kind of wording they were using so right. part of me still adopted the homophobia without realizing that I adopted it because yeah. the the jokes when we made the jokes yeah it was funny to me I was able to I was so that part of me was always there and then when I joined mm. the U.S. Navy of course I took it to another level but with time when I would meet a gay person in the Navy I was like okay it, it makes sense for people to be coming after the person because like this guy can do the job so mm-hmm. but the cracks that had begun way in Nigeria, if they hadn't begun then, by the time I joined the Navy, I wouldn't be able to say I'm cool with a gay person. But right. there was still some homophobia in me. But it would take mm-hmm. years for me to be able to start asking, wait, why is this? Why, wait, wait, why is this message? Why am I supposed to hate someone just mm-hmm. because they are gay when I know the people who are committing bigger sins? You know? Exactly. And, and, and like, it's not like, I'm, I don't mean gay is a sin. I mean, the people who are committing real sins that I can see is destroying it, our environment, killing people, and we are not exactly, going after yeah. them because we're giving them front seats in the church, you know? And exactly. I it's think crazy. that's how I started breaking out of the church too. <laughs> yeah. Look, yeah. I wanted to say this, like, that's like how hypocritical uh, 
Catholic Church is, or maybe the church in general, yeah, church in general, um, yes. especially in in, in Africa, mm -hmm. because uh, I remember some points when I was, you know, still living with a priest. This guy, because I was very very into church, you know, I was like, I was. I was more like the seminaria because I w we didn't have like semin seminaria for like three years. So I was yeah. the one doing the work of the seminaria. I was doing the, the you know, the chef. I was the one making sure that everything for the priest and church, everything is ready. So I was also with the charismatic, very, you know, prayer warrior, you know, those things that was I so like, <laughs> and then I, I did that on the Pentecostal side. <laughs> exactly. And this guy, one day he was caught in the church, like in night, having sex with someone, uh, someone else. And then they called the Reverend Father and they called a few other people. So the guy, he was interrogated, you know, uh, and then he started calling names of people he know, you know, that he have like had something with. And funny enough, I haven't had anything with this guy, but, but he knows that I'm gay. He mentioned my name, right? And then I was called in front of, you know, uh, the priest and few other people. They made us to, like, swear in front of the Blessed Sacrament, you oh, know, man. because I was denying that I'm mm -hmm. not gay. Of course, I can't just accept that I'm gay. You yeah. know, I was denying, everybody was denying that they were not gay. They said we have to swear. So it, it was like, which I did, I swore that I'm not gay. Uh, and, you know, but it just just really thinking about it now, how homophobic, how, you know, the church could make, you know, subject us to like, you know, swearing for being gay or for not being gay. And then there is a priest in, um, you know, like a neighboring parish who got a woman pregnant. Oh, yeah. You know, and, yeah, the, 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 the lady's family said the priest have to marry the girl and then the uh, the bishop, the, you know, they sent the priest out, out, of, out of Nigeria because they don't want the whole scandal and all that. Mm -hmm. So, like, I, I think about it now and I get so pissed because church priests would commit this kind of crime, like getting someone pregnant and then the church would cover it up, but just someone just being themselves, expressing their feelings, you know, loving someone that, you know, the same, just loving mm -hmm. it's a taboo. And then they want to like uh, subject you into swearing and, 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 you know, doing some things that is so inhuman. You yeah. Know? Yeah. That, that's why I've, I've also said that, uh, with the shadiness that the church has done in Africa, that if, you know, with all these scandals that we've seen in America and Europe with the Catholic Church and others, when it comes to molestation, like if the day they open that curtain in Africa, it's, they, they're just gonna go bankrupt. That's just the truth. Mm. The, yeah, that's the truth. Because if they're going this far to protect on just, for the the regular scandals, then the real scandal that we all know about, because people know, mm -hmm. well, people just don't want to talk about it. That's, exactly. that's it. So that's another reason why I was like, you know what, this homo, I can't be, I can't be homophobic. Like it just didn't make sense. Like it doesn't stand. You can't. The double mm -hmm. standard is too much. Way too much. It's too much. Yeah. So you know, but well, I don't want to dwell on just only the the negatives. You had already mentioned earlier that there were some memories that you know you, sometimes you want to go back to those and relieve those childhood and one of my favorite questions to ask is what's your favorite childhood memory um let me see uh i think one of my maybe one of my best uh, favorite childhood memory was um 
was like, so when I was a kid, I used to dance uh, with the groups, uh, oh. you know, like in the church or in the block grocery. I was the only male or the only, uh, yeah, I was the only, the only male, you know, in the group, in the dancing group, in the cultural group of like, bunch of girls yeah. <laughs> and <laughs> I was I was like maybe I was even like the best dancer because I'm always in the front row with this other girl both of us like we're always like competing who is the best dancer you know whenever we go to competition like always like win so it's like I had this very like great memory experience with with that just you know dancing and being myself at that age because I was very young maybe around maybe between uh, six to 10 years. So I was very young, I was a kid, but then uh, the whole, like the whole villagers, they were like, you know, calling me names, uh, like, you know, which is like, you know, a, a, a boy who is like girl, mm. you know, like someone who behaves like woman, you know, they were calling me so many names, but then I, I used to love those names because for me it's like, I, I thought that they were just appreciating me being a good dancer, you know, yeah. a great dancer. But just growing up, you know, just thinking about it now, I know that that time they were just expressing expressing their homophobic, uh, you know, behavior towards me by calling me those names, you know. Mm. But at that age, I couldn't really think about that because I still also didn't really know what it means uh, to be gay or queer. I didn't. Well, I haven't really found myself at that age. I just was just being me, expressing my, my myself. Yeah. But that experience, you know, those memories of me being in the group, dancing, and just having fun as a kid, not really having to worry about, you know, all these things that I'm worrying now about homophobic mm -hmm. and all that. Yeah. It was just like, you know, uh, great for me. And yeah, I, I, sometimes I wish to just relive that experience, you know, just go back to be dancing with those group again, uh, you know. Of course, there's a lot of other memories, but just this one really st um, stuck um, stuck to me. And it's a beautiful memory. And, you know, it, it, it's so uh, fascinating that something as simple as dancing in, 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 a, in a cultural group you know, it shows how toxic masculinity has, you know, a control over, a grip over a lot of our um, communities that we, we act like that's supposed to be for only girls. Mm -hmm. yeah. And boys are not supposed to dance and have fun. But mm. I, I'm a Niger. When our men dance, what do we do? We shake our waist. We move. Mm -hmm. Yeah, if, if right. you're a man dancing and you're, you, you, you're just standing up, you're standing straight, they'll cuss you out. Right. They'll cuss you out and then it's like, okay, but when is the man supposed to learn how to start dancing like that? It's like, okay, mm -hmm. you just go and be dancing with only men. If you're dancing with only men, then they'll, they'll still call you gay. You dance with exactly. women at an early age, they'll still be cussing you out. So, how is this thing supposed to work? Like, we don't even understand how we are right. pushing ourselves deeper in the hole. Like, let the kids have fun. The child is just having fun, innocent. Mm -hmm. The child is not thinking about anything. The child is just dancing, and then you start exactly. projecting darkness onto the child because the, you expect they have this expectation as a boy. The boy should, mm -hmm. must only be here. He must only do this. Exactly. And then, if, if you are turned into a professional dancer and you were making five million dollars a year, just just say that those simple mm -hmm. black. You, 
oh, this is what we are talking about. Nigerians are great. Nigerians. Are, I'm like, mm. yo, I don't remember yeah. trying to kill the child. <laughs> exactly, the child was really yeah. young, you know. And yeah, it's it's yeah, it's because I, yeah. I I think back to myself at that age. You wouldn't catch me in a cultural group like the girls. I like for girls, man. Like where did yeah. that where did that thought <laughs> come from? But, but there was a reason it came from somewhere. Somebody exactly. put it in my head that would make it make me say that's for girls. I'm not gonna dance. Mm-hmm. But there's a reason why. Yeah. You know, because we but we all some we wanted to dance though. Because in parties, mm-hmm. you know, when you dance, the, your uncle's aunts will spray you money. And if you exactly, can dance, yeah. you get some that's how you get some extra pocket change. And you know, ah, man. That stuff. I, I wish people <laughs> realize that it's not. It, you can't progress with hate. If you can't progress yeah. with, it's not. It's not moving us forward. It's not. <laughs> it's not. So, um, uh, um, you now um, with all that um, started happening uh, after your friend unfortunately um, lost his life. Um, you now started looking into. Um, organizations that could get you uh, to to help your community with uh, bring justice, uh, safety uh, to your community. But how how did you go about that? What did you have, was there internet? What, how did that? How did you go about finding this? Because my I don't my lazy self. I I don't even know if I'm asking this question right. But I was I'm I'm just trying to put myself in your shoes. It's like I know of civil liberty organizations, civil rights, and everything I knew about was just on the political side. I was so into politics, but I never knew about queer right organizations until probably after I left Nigeria, which was 2007. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it was around 2006 or 2005, I started knowing about the first queer rights activist. Mm-hmm. So how did that go for you? I think, I think really, it wasn't just like I was searching or looking. I think it it just really happened that, you know, everything was just happening at the same time. Because after that incident, after I lost my friend, I was angry, I was upset. I was just, you know, just want to be safe and just really wish that things, this stuff doesn't happen to me. And also just wish that, you know, these people just get, uh, you know, get what it is out but then um that was actually when facebook kind of maybe started or maybe when i know about facebook but it was some you know somebody a friend introduced me to facebook uh created an account for me and then i met someone on facebook i think this person is probably the first person i met on facebook we're just chatting um and then um he invited me for um for lunch and then you know we had lunch and then he talked to me, he told me about his organization, uh, you know, what they do, they uh, help queer, um, queer and trans people. Um, and then they're looking for, you know, peer educators, volunteers. Um, so asked me if I would be interested. I'm like, okay, I'm, gonna, I'm interested. I didn't really know much about it. I didn't know much about, you know, queer, being queer and all that. I still also didn't know, like, Queer people. I only know myself and my uh, my friend. So the when I the first time I went to the uh, the peer education meeting or training, I met so many queer people. Like wow. I saw all type of queer people just being free, living their life, just you know being around each other, 
it was so amazing for me to just really see that there are other people that are like me, that I'm not just the only one, yeah. you know? Um, so just being around those people, being myself, meeting new, 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 new folks, that was just like really what I needed at that moment uh, mm. that I was really going through all that struggle, thinking that I'm the only one, that there's something wrong with me, thinking that I'm going to die or I'm going to get killed, you know? So just being at that space at that moment, meeting those people, that's how like, you know, it all started. I became a peer educator with this organization. Um, I started, you know, educating other, other my, you know, my peers about, you know, condom use, uh, getting HIV testing, how to like, you know, protect yourself. Uh, but one thing is that the organization wasn't really doing everything that I wanted because I wanted more like, you know, organizations that into like, you know, human rights, justice, because of what really happened to my friend. Yeah. But this organization was mostly, you know, about health, uh, you know, prevention of HIV and STDs, um, you like know, condom health, use health and all that. Only. Ex exactly, you yeah. know. Uh, I was doing that. I was, you know, enjoying it, was meeting new, new people, making new friends, but I wanted more. Until then, I finally, like, you know, moved out. Um, I moved to, uh, to Abuja. Uh, and then met another organization also that was in, doing the same work. But this one was doing a lot of like, you know, human rights advocacy work as well. I got into, you know, volunteering with them and, uh, you know, finally was hired to work as a full-time staff. So it's like those, the justice I seek actually for my friend, I didn't get it yet. But the good thing is that uh, I was able to really, um, you know, get into different organizations, just uh, educate myself on so many things, issues, get to meet new uh, people that are also like me. That really helps, even though I still didn't really seek uh, get the justice that I was seeking. But mm -hmm. also, it also like, you know, gave me some tools to kind of be uh, safe, uh, you know, practice safety. Yeah. But again, it's hard to practice safety in Nigeria as a it queer is. person. It's so hard. <sighs> Man, you know, for... A straight person, a heterosexual in Nigeria, it is not easy to survive that country. You know, it's traumatic. Not to talk of you're not from the majority. Mm. So, like, I have somebody who SARS took the young man, you know, uh, he's, a, he's a boy, you know, but he's a young man. He was just entering the young man age, and they took him January, uh, July, July fourth, twenty fourteen, and we don't know where his body is or anything. They just because his sister sent a car from America and he was driving the car. That's and he had dreadlocks. That's the only reason, and he disappeared. That's not. We 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 don't know how to get justice for him. We don't know where to go. We don't know where to search and. There's so many, you know, and for me, I've, I'm at this point now where I don't, I don't even, I've given up on when it comes to justice in, when in Nigeria because mm. I've been to court for other cases and it's like they just keep dragging and dragging and dragging. Mm -hmm. And I, I can see how for the common man or woman or the com for the common citizen, it's, it's like you have to be willing to dedicate time so 
it's like what, what, when you were in Abuja now, you know, were you able? Did you see any conclusion to any cases? Were you su- successful, or did you end up being like me that it just? Because for me, I've given up at this point. I've given up. I can't lie to you. Just, <laughs> I can't. It's, I mean, yeah. It's okay to give up. The country is 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 hard. They just they're gonna frustrate you. They will make you to give up. You know. Um, I mean, I gave up a few times in Nigeria. Um, yeah, we we had some you know success in you know some cases because queer people get arrested all the time mm-hmm. in Nigeria. You know, living in Abuja, doing this work. Uh, know see a lot of cases because i'm in the community so like i see so many cases where being beaten up you know like i personally experienced it multiple times uh where people being taken by police or arrested uh so always going well i didn't go to the police station but my colleague who is like you know the human rights defenders always go to the police station like you know to try to like you know defend people bail people out so we, we saw few success stories, but like, you know, there were also so many um, stories that were not really like, you know, so, um, successful. So many queer people have been died, like been killed. And the worst part of it is that the media doesn't really report these issues. When they, like I lost, I've lost so many friends in Nigeria. Like I have two particular friends in Nigeria. One of them was, um, he was killed and stabbed multiple times in his apartment. They, they killed him, they locked him inside the apart, inside the apartment, they locked the door from outside. Neighbors thought that he traveled because you can see the key from outside. You know, his body was found four days after, you know, he was already decomposed, smelling. Mm-hmm. They found out because flies were just pitching around his doors. Yeah. They, you know, neighbors started like perceiving this horrible odor and uh, they broke the door uh his apartment and found his body laying on the bed you know i and a few other friends were called we came it was that was like one of the horrible memory that i've like had to 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 see or to like live with just to see my friend being decomposed um to the extent the body was big that they couldn't bring the body out through the door they had to break the, the wall you know, they had to break the wall of his his house to be able to bring him bring his body out. Um, even his family re- rejected his body because they knew he was gay. Uh, mm. The neighbor, the the neighborhood where he lives, also yeah. rejected his body. They, wow. they had to bury him somewhere. Uh, you know, in Abuja, in, in one of the cemetery there. Uh, my up to today, they haven't found whoever that killed him. My organization tried to fight this case. The police was just not really showing interest because this person is queer, of course. So today the case just died, you know. Mm. So that experience and my other, you know, some of the other person I was, I work with, um, she was like one of our devoted, most devoted volunteer. She's a transgender woman. She was killed in her living, in, in in her apartment 
They killed her. They cut her head off. Oh my god! They goodness. buried her body inside her living room and put her head in a sack bag and left it there. You know, in a very close. You know how Nigeria. You know how clustered Nigerians are. Yeah. You know neighborhoods. Some neighborhood Nigerians are very clustered. But everyone who lives there denied not knowing anything about this. They didn't see who killed him. Yeah. How they didn't. You know, it was the media did oh. not report this. Like all these stories, you will not find it in the media. So it's really get so upsetting that where people get killed all the time in Nigeria, get missing all the time. There's one of my friends up to today since 2015. We haven't found him like he's been missing. No one knows if he's still alive or not. You know, and the media don't report it. So it's it's hard. It's really hard living in Nigeria as a queer person. I'm, I'm, just, I'm just so glad that I'm here, but I'm also... I'm also feeling so bad for my queer siblings who are still back in Nigeria, still dealing with these homophobes. Yeah. <sighs> you know, but that that's a, the, the point you made about the media not covering it, it's 100%, 100%, because that's why people like myself, who were always reading his, um, his mother's newspapers every day, and then later on, in life, I was the guy who was going to stand at newspaper stands, reading newspapers every single time because I couldn't afford to buy newspapers, but I would give them like five naira and then I would read newspapers and they arguing with people at the newspaper stands. There was nothing. There was nothing, but they'll be reporting this person was killed here, this person was stabbed here, this person was this, but there's always nothing about anybody from the LGBTQIA community, you know, nothing positive, nothing about crimes happening to them. The only time something was in there was when they needed to bash people from the queer community. Like um, the one of the last stories I remember when I left, just before I left Nigeria, that made me stop, that made me lose somebody who was supposed to be my friend. When uh, two women were expelled from University of, uh, I think it was Futu, and it was in Oweri, because they were caught making out. And the university expelled them, and the, the women sued the university. And my friend was mad with me for saying, why should they expel the women? It didn't make sense to me. I said, they are above 18, right? They're adults. So why are you going to go? How did they know that they were making out? That means somebody was spying on them. And she was like, are you are you gay? Are you are you homosexual? Why are you defending that? I said, I don't, I don't have mm-hmm. to be. It doesn't make sense to me. They're, the university should be doing something important than mm-hmm. um, going after people making out. Mm-hmm. And yeah. it turned into a big quarrel. And then, so that's how we stopped talking until I left. But it didn't make sense. I was like, well, but that is the kind of news that they will report. Like, oh, look mm-hmm. at look at them. Your, your parents send you to school and then you're making out with another woman. Yeah. Then no. they put that. That's what they'll go report about. And then people's, exactly. so that's how they kind of tune people's minds into and then uh, bring that uh, stuff that we have over here, like the gay agenda. They bring that stuff too and put it in, in the mm-hmm. newspapers and uh, on the news channels and that, but that's how they program people without people realizing that they're being programmed too because mm-hmm. I, I, I'm asking myself like how come I don't I didn't know about all this how come I didn't know a whole lot of the, 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 because we know we know the, the weak ah man I don't know way it's, but, it's crazy. Yeah. Two, two gay men, I don't know if you heard about the news, uh, in Oweri, I think 2013, I don't remember the year, but two gay men, they were caught having sex, they were beaten publicly, they were burnt alive. You know, they, they were burnt. Mm-hmm. And the police stood there, 
watching the crowd burn these people oh, just that, that, because that, that, they were gay. That's my surprise to me. You know, it's, it's so hard. Like when you talked about SARS and, you know, it's just so like, it's so hard for me to just think about it now. You know, with I also was a victim of SARS. My friends were a victim of SARS. I had a friend who, you know, went to General Hospital. He was he tested HIV positive. The doctor asked him, how did you get HIV? You have to bring your girlfriend or your wife so we can test her as well. He said, I don't have a girlfriend. The doctor was like, so how did you get HIV if you don't have a girlfriend? He's like, you know, I have a boyfriend. The doctor said, like, boyfriend as, like, a man. He said, yes, I have a boyfriend, a man. He thought the doctor went out and called police to arrest this person Look at because that. he confessed that he's... So it's like, oh. the doctor, people supposed to be, like, you know, protecting you, supposed to, like, be helping you. They are calling police to arrest you. It's, it's so... Nigeria is so fucked up. It like, is. when it comes to, like, you know, queer issues, um, it's hard. It is. But anyway, we are not going to stay in Nigeria for the whole podcast. <laughs> That's, uh, before we move exactly. on, we're going to take a quick break and we shall be right back. Hi, everyone. Your host, Raphael Harry here. I can't believe we have gone past our one-year anniversary of doing White Label American. I've had the privilege of speaking with some amazing people, sharing their modern day immigrant stories. And you've allowed this Nigerian immigrant to share parts of his immigrant journey through this podcast. Also, one of my goals of this podcast is breaking down artificial walls that keep people from getting to understand each other. Based on your wonderful feedback, over the last year, I think we have done a decent job in breaking down some of those walls. We would like to continue and expand on this mission, but we need your help. I've had an amazing time creating and producing episodes for this show largely on my own. We have a lot of ideas for new and exciting content to expand upon the mission, but we need direct support from you, our listener, which is why we have created a White Label American Patreon page where you can make a one-time donation or become a sustaining contributor where you can get access to exclusive content, help me interview upcoming guests by submitting questions, and even have the chance to sit down with me for a one-on-one conversation either virtually or in studio. So if this podcast means something to you, and if you really love this show, think about becoming a sustaining contributor and donating by going to patreon.com slash whitelabelamericanpod. Thanks for listening and for the privilege of your company. Okay, so welcome back. And now we're going to move to your, um, to Uche now in um, America. Uche coming to America. So when did you decide to make the move to United States and how did that come about? 
Um, so I came here to the U.S. in 2017. Um, I'd like making the move. It, it wasn't just like it was. I don't think there was like any planning or like, you know, something. Well, I have always dreamt of coming to the United States or just, you know, living in Nigeria, going to a country where I can just really be myself. So the first, the first time actually I watched the Pride, uh, I was still in Nigeria, I watched the, you know, the Pride match on TV. That the memory still live with me right now. Um, I cried because I was just really, it was a tear of joy mm -hmm. seeing queer people in America just living freely, being themselves, marching on the street. But also I was just crying because I, I wish that my country would be at some point be, be like this. Um, so, you know, a few times, or maybe once I applied for visa to come to the United States, I was denied. And then the second time I applied for it was uh, in 2016. And luckily I got a visa to come here um, for a conference. So that was actually how the whole, you know, planning uh, process of, you know, coming to the United States all started. So I came here, it, it's been, it hasn't been like, it, it wasn't easy. Uh, really, it wasn't easy. It was so hard because um, I had a two years visa, multiple entry to come um, to a conference. Um, so getting to the airport, I don't know if, if like, you know, I have to tell the story or some, I don't know. Just like yeah, yeah, it's up to you. It's up to you. If you no, want to, if you I don't want to, that's fine. Other, I mean, I'm good sharing my sharing the story. I mean, I've shared it a lot of times. So just yeah. So arriving at the airport in Atlanta, um, that you know, early morning around 5 a.m. Um, I was you know being interrogated by um, by the eyes of I don't know security eyes officials. Like, why am I coming to the United States? I told them I was coming for a conference. So they uh, searched my bags to know if I have anything. They didn't find anything implicating. They were like, I should give them the proof or evidence that I'm coming for a conference. So the only evidence I have, of course, is my visa. And then yeah. my um, the invitation letter that I had from the conference organizers. Um, so they went, I called the hotel to find out if there is a conference happening. The hotel told them, no, there is no conference happening, uh, what? in their hotel at the date, uh, that is in the, in the letter. So they told me that, you know, there is no conference happening. So that means I'm not, I don't have any genuine reason coming here. I knew there is a conference happening, yeah. but what I didn't know was that the, uh, conference venue was changed. It was changed to a different location oh. uh, prior to my departure. And I had already printed out the letter that was sent, the, form, the first letter that was sent to me. Yeah. Um, so I didn't check my email before leaving to know if there's anything. So I had no idea what these people were talking about, telling me there's no conference happening. They called the conference organizers, the phone went to voicemail. And then they said, you know what, they're going to deport me. They will send me back to my country because I don't have any reason coming here. I brought the argument of my visa being the reason why I'm coming here. You gave me visa. I went to the interview. I spent money. I did all of this. You guys gave me visa. So you're telling me now there's no reason I'm coming here. Even if let's assume there's no conference, but I had a visa, which is a multiple entry tourist visa that allows me to come in anytime and go, you know. Yeah. They were like, you know, you have to go back. We'll send you back. We'll deport you. Deportation is a 10 years ban to the United States. Um, wow. 
I refused to sign the deportation um, documents. Mm-hmm. They kept me. They kept me in a cell at the airport for like from 5 a.m. to 5 p.m. I was That's there. Crazy. I was cold because you know I didn't come with the proper clothes. I didn't know how yeah. cold it's gonna get over here. I was hungry. I was. It was a lot. And then the finally, I decided like you know ask for asylum at the airport. So I asked for you know tell them I want to apply seek asylum. Uh, I was sent to immigration detention. Um, I was handcuffed at the airport. Wow. I was. They chained my legs, they chained my waist, they chained my hands, they covered my nose. I was humiliated at the airport. Like when I was being taken to the uh, to the car by the you know the ICE officials, people at the airport, you know, you know how busy Atlanta airport is. They yeah. were taking pictures and videos of me. Mm. It was just like I was just feeling so many emotions. Like maybe they think I'm. I'm a drug dealer, you mm-hmm. know, like a young boy coming from, you know, from Africa is like a black person as well. And again, I didn't know about like race, racism in this country. I think that yeah. was like the first time I was just like, you know, experiencing racism, um, you know, so that's memory. And then the next place I found myself was immigration detention, which that experience was like, it was a horrible experience spending three months in detention Dang. in this country is is an experience i don't wish anybody to go through because it's like you did nothing you only wanted to come and be safe right you want freedom uh but then you're being put in this place you're being tortured in 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 detention i was denied medical uh medical attention i almost died while i was in detention because you know i had some medical history in nigeria before coming here yeah but i uh, my medication was confiscated by the as officials what? i was denied medication for months um i was constantly sick complained requested for medication none was given to me um and then I got very sick that I had to be taken to the hospital. Uh, in you know, I was also chained on on my legs, hand, waist, taken to the hospital. While I was in the hospital bed, they chained me on the hospital bed. They chained my hand on the bed. They chained my legs on the bed. I couldn't move my body. I was just like like that. And they had three police officers in front of the door watching me with guns with all the security i was it was, waste of resources it was just too for much for, for me i started crying i was just like crying at the hospital just like why do i have to be here just you know because even in my country i have never been chained on a hospital bed you know mm. i know i experienced homophobes but i've never been treated this way and then i was started thinking about this is not the american dream this is not what i thought about America. This is not the thing that I saw on the TV, you know? Um, but, and then I was in solitary confinement for two, two nights. Solitary confinement mm. is like, you know, where you are being isolated. Yeah. You have no contact with any other person. Oh. You're just there 23 hours by yourself. You know, uh, you only come out maybe one hour in a day to take shower and maybe eat if you, you know, it, it was a lot. It was a lot of like, you know, trauma, traumatic experience in, in detention. But the good thing is that I'm here and I'm out, um, you know, so and life continues. Man, that is, oof. Yeah, I, 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 that is, yeah, I don't know, man. This is, I mean, I've, I've not liked ice for a long time. 
that just I think this experience now is taking me to yeah a whole brand new yeah it's hatred half for ice now just just put it that way because man even the navy I wouldn't support holding somebody like that who they claimed was an alleged terrorist while I was in the Middle East I wouldn't support that so why go ah man fuck these people just fuck them. But anyway, I'm glad you're here. Yeah, that's, the, you know. Did, did, did the, the conference organizer ever come back, try to contact you, or did they? Do... They did. Well, they tried. I mean, they didn't know because, well, I had this issue at the airport. So yeah. my phones were taken. Everything was, you know, taken. So conference already ended when I, I got out of detention. But uh, when I, it was when I came out that I found out that, you know, there's email that was sent to me with a new you know, hotel, the new location, which I didn't really know. Uh, and then I was also told by someone who was supposed to pick me up at the airport, they went to the airport, they, they spent almost the whole day waiting for me at the airport, you know, but they, they because I was originally going to Chicago, so I was supposed to have a connecting flight in Atlanta, and oh, then I had this issue. So they were waiting at you know, Chicago? They were, they, yeah, they were waiting for me in Chicago, and then I had this issue with the immigration in Atlanta. Aye. Those people are just wicked. Oh man! But, but so how how did uh, how did they finally clear you? Did it just come to their senses or what? You mean like release me from detention? Yeah. So yeah, I mean I continued my asylum process in, while I was in detention. I had the lawyers uh, who you know my lawyers were very very helpful. Um, you know. They were they requested for parole, which is you know parole is uh, like you know asking for release yes. from detention mm -hmm. while you continue your uh, your case on the outside. Mm -hmm. So I mean I had also support from the queer community. That's also one thing that I'm so grateful for, um, and really like it was just so amazing to see how people were just advocating for me. People I didn't even know while I was still in detention. Like, yeah. you have all these organizers, activists, uh, you know, having rallies in front of the uh, uh, detention centers, uh, advocating for, for my release. I had my lawyers doing their job. I had uh, my sponsor uh, in Chicago who was, you know, also working with the lawyers, providing all the documents that was needed to, mm -hmm. to get me out. So, and then I had people visiting me sending me letters. So it was just really like, I really, really appreciate those people and all the things that they did because I didn't know any of these people, uh, you know, before coming to this country. And then um, John, John Lewis, may he so rest in peace. Yeah, John Lewis was, was, was really also helpful because I didn't know who he was. I didn't know, I've never heard about him, but you know, uh, one of the person who was visiting me told me about, you know, that I should send him a mail while I was, you know, from detention, which I did. I sent him a mail with everything, detailing everything happening to me. And then he reached out to the um, to detention centers, to eyes, you know, demanding for my release. So with all, with his help and the help of the advocacy team, my lawyers and everything. So. I was I was released. I was released from detention after three months. I mean, I'm still, you know, waiting for my asylum. I haven't been granted asylum yet. But I just, you know, I'm just glad I just left that place because it's is an is a place for no one to it's, be. Like that's that's it. It's a place for no nobody should be there. Nobody. 
Man. But yeah, respect to um, John Lewis, uh, rest in power. He's, uh, and that's what I tell people, man. It's important who we elect into office because yeah, you, you don't want the wrong people there because they would have just been like, oh, you coming from Nigeria? Ah, Africans. What African doing? Another one again. We don't want him. But yeah, so I'm really glad that uh, the people stepped up to advocate for you. And shout out to each and every one of them. Yeah, it's uh, it's so beautiful. So uh, another thing that makes you inspiring to me is that with all the traumatic experience that you faced and been through, you still have a light that shines very bright. Your light never got dimmed by all that. You know, and you shine your light to everybody and inspire people. And you're now an inspiration for myself. And you, you don't just, your, your light's not just shining on only just um, immigrants and queer rights activities, uh, activism, but also in creativity as in fashion and more. So um, when did you start to embrace your creativity um, your, 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 yeah, when did you start to embrace your creativity? When did that become something that you, you realized that you could do something with this? I think it's uh, maybe around 2015. Well, I've always, like, you know, loved fashion. I've always loved, you know, just seeing people wear good clothes. Before, when I wasn't working, I just, like, you know, I admire people wearing good clothes. I always wish, you know, to have money some days and be able to wear this kind of clothes. So, but it was around 2015 that I, I started thinking really deep into like, you know, um, fashion. I think it all started by me just, you know, getting, uh, you know, clothes made by tailors. Uh, and then I would just sell them to my friends, uh, you know, in Abuja. Um, I was doing my job, my full-time job as well. And then yeah. this, that was just more like on a side job for me. Uh, so that's how the, you know, the whole experience kind of started. And then I had to really like, you know, go into it deeply to really like, you know, learn a few things, um, you know, about, you know, fashion design and sewing and all that. So that's that's just the experience uh for me and it's really some i i love i love it i love fashion i love um you know making clothes wears um and all that just that you know i have a full-time job that really don't allow me or give me time to really you know do a lot on the fashion side but it's something that you know maybe in the future i'm thinking of just taking to like you know the next level but i still do fashion on the side so I guess that's just how the um, the interest or the experience with fashion has always been, you know, something that I've always like, you know, admire and love. But it officially started around like 2015 when I think about like, you know, I want to do, I want to do this. Yeah, yeah, and and your designs are just, man, they're magnificent, man. Yeah, you got me. You gonna make something for me though. You make something <laughs> yes. for me. You know, yes, let's do it. Yeah, it's. Uh, I saw. I saw. I saw when I started seeing your designs. I was like, "Wow, this who this guy again?" And then, wait, I thought it was. I thought it was one. I thought it was this was who he was all about. Then wait, <laughs> this, this wait. 
You know what? No. Let me start looking. At, I, I love this shirt. I love that. Wait, is this shirt I'm doing or is yeah. it the whole outfit? I don't know. I don't. Let me, I'm, yeah, <laughs> that, yeah, it's it's. Arrogant. Yeah. Yeah. People, people, people better check it out and see what they're missing on me. It's it's. Thank yeah, you. It's, it's good stuff, man. It's good stuff. Yeah. So, um, to those who do not know um, about your organization, what does uh, what is Queer Detainee Empowerment Project about? Uh, so, um, QDEP, Queer Detainee Empowerment Project, is um, is a is a nonprofit organization that is uh, providing support and services for uh, LGBTQI plus um, gender nonconforming, uh, two spirit, HIV positive um, immigrants. That uh, that is that are currently in immigration detention. Those recently released from detention and those uh, at risk of being detained or being deported. Um, so pro uh, we provide uh, them with structural health, wellness, educational, emotional, and legal supports, meaning everything that you know this community needs uh, while they are in immigration detention or the support they need, which involve or in uh, uh, include providing um, commissary support, letter writing, visitation, connecting folks to lawyers uh, for asylums, advocating for people's release, and then while people are out of detention, for those who want to move to New York City, we also continue to provide them with post-release support, mm -hmm. uh, connecting them to all the resources available for them uh, to thrive, you know, having like support group for, um, for the uh, most impacted community. Uh, who you know went through immigration detention, uh, yeah. where folks can really connect with other people, share their stories, you know, share meals together, get to meet, um, get to meet new people. Also have our mental health and healing program. Also, um, so there's a lot of work programs and services that we do, and then we have our community organizing program that is there to kind of like you know educate and build the leadership of our members that are directly impacted by the immigration system, give them the tools that would allow them to organize and advocate uh, to change the policies that you know oppress them. Yeah. Uh, you know we do this through political education, through leadership development, through policy reforms, uh, campaign strategies and direct action. Uh, so that's how we organize and build our community to kind of like, you know, fight this um, this system. So that's what the organization is all about. If folks want to know more, we have a website, uh, which is qdep.org, uh, qdep.org. Uh, QDEP and then we also have our website, uh, our Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. It's also it's queer, D-E-P, queer as in Q-U-E-E-R, D-E-P. So right. I'll can... add those to the show notes too. So um, just in case, you, you can also click on the show notes and go directly to the website and social media. So um, you've been with QDEP um, for some time. And uh, apart from work, apart from, um, and I'm adding your um, fashion also to it, uh, how do you relax outside of work? You know, how do you find? Well, what, yes, we are still in a pandemic. Um, I recognize that, but pandemic or no pandemic, like how do you relax? How do you, you know, when you you, you have because you have to step away from work every now and then. 
how do you relax? How do you find time to take care of you? Because you do a lot of heavy lifting. You do a lot of great stuff for the world, which um, I appreciate you for that. But you still need to take mm -hmm. care of you. So how do you how do you treat yourself? Uh, well, I guess just, you know, I love being around people. Um, you know, just having great time with my friends. Um, I have, you know, my community, you know, my people I consider my community are queer, queer people, yes. queer immigrants, uh, queer and trans immigrants, queer and trans uh, folks in the United States, black people. Uh, these are people I consider my community. So I love being around my Nigerian friends because, you know, we understand each other. We all, you know, have the same experience and stories. So when I'm not working, when I'm not organizing, I just want to be around my, my friends. Uh, sometimes I just want to chill in my house. Or, you know, I love also traveling because, the, like you said, the work we, the work we do is so, it, it's, it's a lot, uh, mentally and emotionally, like, you know, always having to really look for uh, for resources for queer and trans com immigrant community is a lot to also hear their stories and then also thinking you know also being the fact that you're also living with the same experience so it's like you know you're trying to provide support for yourself but also yeah. provide support for other people so it's a lot so I'm always really looking out for like any opportunity that's just really gonna get me out of New York because also it's a lot to live in New York. It is. Like with all the chaos, everything that's going on in the world right now. So any opportunity for me to travel, I'm always there. If I'm not traveling, I'm around, you know, maybe hanging around with my friends and my, um, yeah, my, my, my community, especially my Nigerian queer community. All right, so as I begin to um get close to wrapping up i have to ask these fun questions um in that you've mentioned hanging out with your nigerian community where's your favorite food come from is it new york based or is it nigerian based and what is it <laughs> my uh what is new york based i don't even know what i means what is that is like, it a new, new york, york cuisine is it uh, uh, uh let me expand it is it new york cuisine or is it an american cuisine or is it uh, an, uh, uh, an international well, cuisine or a foreign cuisine of uh, another love, kind i love nigerian food my friends know that uh <laughs> <laughs> i always argue with this by you know one of my american friends is like you know it's always jollof fries jollof fries jollof fries <laughs> so i love jollof fries yeah, jollof. I, also, <laughs> I also like my wife will like you <laughs> <laughs> And I make the best jello fries. So yeah, if your wife loves jello fries, we need to connect. <laughs> okay, she, so, she's she's German, but she 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 she's gotten into the jello fries wars. I didn't I didn't mm -hmm. introduce her because me I eat everybody's jello. Don't uh, I don't, I don't yeah. do that word. But but she she if you ask her, she's I've given her jello from everybody, and she's like right, Nigerian right. jello is her favorite. So. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Nigerian jello. Not yeah. Ghanaian jollof. Yeah. Um, yeah, so yeah, I love Nigerian. I mean, of course, I eat other cuisine, so it's not just Nigerian. Um, recently, I'm really starting to really minimize Nigerian food because yeah. our food has a lot of cholesterol. <laughs> so <laughs> I want to be honest, Nigerian food has so much cholesterol. So I'm really it, it like, does. I'm does. stepping out a little, you know, 
trying to do something, try something different. But of course, I eat all food, Chinese food, American food. You know, I love Mexican food. Oh, yeah. Um, Great. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I saw this place on um, on one of the eating apps. uh, What's this Nigerian place called? I think it's uh, Green Hill or something. And... Mm. um, I've been, I just started, I've been working out for like two, three months now consistently and uh, added to my plane of soccer. And, and I saw on this place that they have uh, Isiewu and I was like, ah, man, this bubble never <laughs> chopped Isiewu for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, yes. I need that right now. <laughs> I said, okay, you know what? Let me order it. And I ordered it. Man, the next week I order Isiewu again. <laughs> That's what, Okay. <laughs> No more. That's, it was it was really good. <laughs> but I said yeah. I'm gonna this book will take all my money now. So no more. I'm not I'm not doing it. Yeah, that's that's good. <laughs> it was very spicy because my, my wife was like, Oh, let me yeah, come try it. I was yeah, like, yeah. Um, I know you've eaten some of my food, but this one, this is a different type of spice. Mm-hmm, <laughs> I don't know if you yeah. want to do this one. You know, you don't want to try this. Yeah, yeah, she tried, she's like, Ooh, I was like, I told you. <laughs> Yeah, you know, I uh, I had shawarma two days ago. Is that it was so like so nice for because since I left Nigeria 27, even before I left Nigeria, I haven't really had shawarma in a long time. So it was my roommate just discovered this place. They make shawarma. It's not as great as the one we have in Nigeria, but at least it's something. I just because I have missed it. So like. Just eating it and allowing it to just drip from my mouth. Yeah. So, <laughs> Wait, so, so was it was it the, the Arabian or it's it's a Nigerian it's a Nigerian restaurant. So they ah. make shawarma, you know, and they make of course other Nigerian food. So okay. just like you know, yeah. I don't think I've seen a Nigerian place with shawarma on. on I haven't too. On the menu. So this 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 one, I think, is a new restaurant. It's in Brooklyn here. After I got stationed in the Middle East, I think I lost interest in shawarma. I had. I was like, I ate their street food there. I ate shawarma on mm. the streets. I'm like, I'm not coming back to Nigerian shawarma. This is the people who have it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm done. <laughs> it, it became something different because it's totally different right. from Nigerian shawarma. I'm, and I was yeah, poor yeah, in yeah. Nigeria, man. I was a poor guy. All the shakara I used to do that. I was, I got, I ain't got no money. So everybody always <laughs> use shawarma in my face. Like, ah, if you can't right. get me shawarma, you can't take me out. If you can't I buy shawarma, exactly. like, if you can't man, buy go shop the shawarma. I've eaten real shawarma bag. <laughs> <laughs> so oh my God. um next one is music so i'm pretty sure you still dance <laughs> so who are your top three give, give me top three favorite artists right now i know it's probably if i ask for your favorite it's probably going to be like a hundred artists if you're like me so but top three that if you need to dance for that can keep you dancing for an hour who, who will you go mm. to I think uh, my my top is uh, Yemi Alade. Mm. I love her so much. She's very she's a strong black woman. Um, I love yeah. Yemi Alade is my top. Uh, and then I love Fino. Uh, I love just his music. I don't really like his personality, but yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, no I, was, I, was, I was about to ask, <laughs> but okay, I, I know what you're talking about there. Yeah. Uh, and then the third, my third is uh, uh, Pato. Pataranki, right? Yeah, Pataranki. Oh, yeah, yeah, he, he got some, he got some, he got yeah, some hits yeah. that I, I, yeah. I, yeah, I dig. I dig some hits. Someone just put me on uh, Busiziwa recently, mm. and yeah, that so that's the one that I'm, that I, I can't stop playing right now. It's like, ooh, 
Nah, is nah. it by by who Patoranke? No, uh, she's a she, she, she was on that um, my power with uh, she was on that track oh, okay. my power Beyonce and right, the right. other women. Oh, but, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. was on a different track on that uh, Black, it, yeah. is, Black is King album. Yeah, but, yeah. But Busiziwa, she's uh, South African and ooh, mm, okay. Yeah. Yes, I said sister, carry carry go, carry <laughs> go. That's all I was just saying. Carry go, you you good. Keep me keep my house mm. dancing for one hour. <laughs> so um, appreciate you coming on the podcast. Thank you for your time. And final question I would like to ask is, what would you like to leave the audience with? Um, it could be a phrase that you live by. It could be a mantra. It could be a quote from a, a book that you've read, one of your favorite books. could be a line from a favorite song. could be any, just anything. But this is you, freestyle. It's just your thing. Mm. I... I just I want to give this quote that I, I I heard from my friend and it says if you are not hungry for justice it is because you are full with privilege oh. right so yeah I, I think that's just what I want to leave the audience with uh, it's very deep people it have is. to really think about it like yeah because I say this because of you know the work I do sometimes my friends always tell me why are you always there you're always on the streets carrying placard doing protesting and for me, it's like because of I have experienced so many hard life, and I know other people too have. You know, I'm not just I'm not erasing other people's experience, but my experience, you know, is matters to me, and I'm doing this because you know I I have to demand justice. You know, so if folks are not hungry or thirsty for justice, it is because they are full with privilege. One hundred percent agree with that, because. If I when I apply that to myself, I can I can tell you where my shortcomings are one hundred percent. So there's not one lie said there. So thank you again. Um, please uh, plug yourself. Um, how can people find you? Um, where do you, would you like people to reach out to you on if people want to? Yeah. Um, so I have my Instagram, uh, which is uh, famousval nine nine two. Uh, folks can follow me there. I also have my business Instagram page, which is not super active. It's uh, Famous Val Couture. Um, and then, of course, folks can also uh, follow me. I think, I think I'm more active on Facebook and then Instagram. My Facebook is uh, Uche Onwa. Uh, you know, I sh I'm, I'm like an open book. I share my life on, you know, on my social media. Uh, so folks can, you know, follow me if they want to, like, you know, just keep learning more about me uh and then my organization already shared my uh the you know our plugin yeah. uh, instagram queer de queer dep instagram facebook and twitter and then our website is uh, qdep.org um so those are ways that folks can uh follow me also some of my stories have been uh featured on some uh, platform, a media platform. So if you type which Chuku Onwa, you will like, you know, see um, some of my uh, stories, some stories that was, you know, written about me on, uh, on Google. All righty. Thank and, you. And all of that will go into the show notes too. Yeah. Yeah. So, hey, thank you a lot for coming on the podcast. Oh, man, how do you say thank you in Igbo again? I've forgotten that one. <laughs> I remember. Uh, it's that. 
Well, Dalo. 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 Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm from my language, Zumbana. I'm a Ijo, so. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I uh, appreciate you and I uh, keep following you and we'll talk about my, making my outfit, you know. All right. We'll Thank you so that. much, Raphael, uh, for this great opportunity. I really appreciate it. That was my pleasure. And to the audience, thank you for the privilege of your company. Keep the love coming in and keep sharing. Thanks for listening to White Label American. If you enjoyed the show, we'll appreciate if you rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcast from. If you have any questions, comments, or have someone who will be a good guest on the show, or you want to be on the show, send us a message at whitelabelamerican at gmail.com. And make sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at White Label American. Thank you for your support.